So I'm glad that all of you have tuned in. Can you hear me okay? Is the sound all right? Yes. Okay, great. Fantastic. So I think all of you can see over here the, uh, the passage that we're going to be referring to in Book of Numbers or Bamidbar in Hebrew. It's a very important couple of classes that we're going into right now. It has a lot of lessons for our lives that are very important. <clears throat> it's called Shalach Lecha. And the reason that this Parsha is called Shalach, it means send. And it, sends, and it means Hashem is saying to Moshe Rabbeinu, send for yourself. He's not saying, when he said, um, sin for me or take for me was like the Levi'im where he would say take for me oh man just a second I didn't realize that I had goofed up on that and I need to do it again so just bear with me for one moment, please, while I redo this date here. It was kind of messed up. Alright, there we go. So this was last week's Parsha. And these were the dates, the 22nd to the 28th of Sivan. And it was the end of Sivan. Now we're actually in the month of Tammuz. The months of Tammuz and um, Av are months in which we really think a lot about repentance. The 17th of Tammuz is the month in which they began the siege on the temple, and so we have a fast day on the 17th of Tammuz, and that begins the three weeks of mourning for the temple. So these two months, Tammuz and Av, are months in which we really concentrate on repentance on bringing ourselves before Hashem and straightening out the things that are wrong in our lives and so the very last Parsha of the month of Sivan right as we begin the month of Tammuz is this Parsha of Shalach Lecha and the main story the main lesson of that Parsha is the sin of the spies the spies that went into the land to spy out the land. And that's what Hashem was referring to when he says Shalach. He said, y send, you send for yourself, Lacha, for yourself, not for me, because Hashem didn't need the spies to be sent. And the people had asked for spies to be sent into the land, and Hashem said it's not really necessary, but if you insist, it's okay. And so Moshe did pray about it. And Hashem agreed to let him do it because it was the will of the people. But it really was not within the perfect will of Hashem. So that's why it is called Shalach Lecha. So let's begin. It is. It starts in the 13th chapter. And as I was saying before, we have Shalach 
and then the next Parsha is Korach. And so it's really two of the most intense stories of rebellion against Hashem. And they're just back to back as we begin the month of Tammuz going into Av. Is, are these stories about where the people of Israel really fell and, and there was a lot of punishment and and it's uh, it makes us really think about what we're doing. There are lessons here that really make us focus on our lives and how we are living before Hashem. So beginning with the first verse of the thirteenth chapter, Hashem spoke to Moshe saying Send forth men, if you please, and let them spy out the land of Canaan that I give to the children of Israel. One man each for his father's tribe shall you send, every one a leader among them. Moshe sent them forth from the wilderness of Paran at Hashem's command. They were all distinguished men. Heads of the children of Israel were they. These were their names. For the tribe of Ruvain, Shemua, son of Zachur. For the tribe of Shimon, Shivat, son of Hori. For the tribe of Judah, Kaled, son of Yafuna. For the tribe of Issachar, Yigal, son of Yosef. For the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun. For the tribe of Binyamin, Palte, son of Raphu. For the tribe of Zvulun, Gadiel, son of Sodi, for the tribe of Yosef, for the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, son of Susi, for the tribe of Dan, Amiel, son of Gamali, for the tribe of Asher, Setur, son of Michael, for the tribe of Naphtali, Nachbi, son of Vofsi, for the tribe of God, Geula, Geuel, son of Machi. These are the names of the men whom Moshe sent to spy out the land. Uh, there's something significant about these people. And this in itself is something that we need to, to speak about. Names each one of these each one of the representatives of his tribe and each one of these men was a leader in the, in the people of Israel each one of these men was a highly righteous man who was a tzaddik and so um, so many times when we think about the spies that went into the land the ten spies and the two spies we think about them in such a way that we think that they were um, low of character, that they weren't on a very high par, but they were absolutely Siddiquim. They were righteous, very righteous men. But even the request, the children of Israel were in Kaddish Barnea, and even the request, that they should send spies. Why was that in itself? We have to think about this. Why was that in itself something that was not really within the will of Hashem as we did speak of a little while? Um, Hashem had been 
They had they were now two years in the wilderness. And they had experienced the the man falling, the manna. They experienced the miracles. They had seen the miracles. And they had stood at Sinai. They had had all these wonderful experiences in the wilderness. They had the Mishkan. It was already built. Um, it had already been dedicated. All of these wonderful things had happened. And they were standing at Kardash Barnea. And they were ready to go into the land. Right on the border. Ready to go into the land. And they had the thought, well, maybe we need to go and spy out the land and see. Some of the people were thinking, so that it can, we can see exactly how good it is. And others had a little bit other kind of thinking. They wanted to know whether the cities were walled or whether they were open. They wanted to know um, what kind of produce there was. And But yet, just the idea that they had to go into the land and look at it had a hint of not really believing the wonderful things that Hashem had said about the land, that it was a land flowing with milk and honey, that it was a rich and, and beautiful land. And also, they weren't really sure about whether or not they could conquer the people of the land, whether Hashem was really going to give it into their hands. Even after all of the things that they had experienced, after crossing the sea and seeing the armies of, Far- of Paro completely wiped out, after the wars with Amalek and seeing the army of, armies of Amalek defeated, after all of the times that Hashem had saved them and provided for them, they were still faltering here. So that was the reason that Hashem did not bless this venture of sending the spies. It's like there's a story about a king who who told his son that he had a beautiful girl for him to marry. And the son was a little bit doubtful. He wasn't sure that he really wanted to marry this girl without seeing her first. He insisted he had to see her. He had to see her. And so finally, the, the, the king agreed, okay, I will let you see her, but I'm not going to let you marry her, was what he decided. So he let her see him, see this beautiful girl, but he, but he decided he wasn't going to let his son marry her. And that's basically what had happened here, was that Hashem decided, okay, I'm going to let you see this beautiful land that I told you about. But because of your lack of faith in me, after everything I have proven to you, you're not going to be able to go into the land yourself. So, they sent these spies. Now, there is a meaning, like we were talking about last, you know, a few times back, that there is a meaning of the names, and there is a meaning of when we talked about the gifts that the princes of the tribes brought, that there was a meaning for those gifts. Well, there's also a significance to the names of these spies. There's a reason that, has, that the Torah lists names of people. There's a significance to the fact that they're in the Torah at all. But it comes to tell us some things. 
For the tribe of Ruvain, the spy was Shemua bin Zakur. Now, Shemua is connected with the word Lishmoa, or to hear. And so, he was, there was a problem with him hearing. He wasn't hearing correctly. His hearing was a little bit off. He didn't listen to Hashem's word. This is, the in, this is what is insinuated by this. And his last name was um, connected to the word Kishuf, which is practice. Zakur is connected to the word Shikuf, or magic, or witchcraft. And so the, the Torah tells us that prophet who a uh, person who practices witchcraft is guilty or practice a person who I'm sorry who practices rebellion is guilty of the same severity of sin as a person who practices witchcraft and so there was this hint here in the name of this spy from the tribe of Ruvain of a person who does not listen to the words of Hashem and he is so rebellious that it smacks of witchcraft. Now for the tribe of Shimon the spy's name was Shaphat bin Hori. And what this means is Shaphat, he did not conquer his evil inclination that urged him to slander the land. We have to be careful of how we speak and here is this man who did not conquer his inclination for slander and he's and he is criticized for this and therefore he did not enter the land because he could not conquer this in himself and Hori is related to the word Horim which means became free of entering the land instead of a good thing this was a bad thing he was slandering the land therefore he was free of having to enter the land he was free of the blessing of going into the land you see how actually it is a curse but yet they wanted to be free of it so you want that okay that's what you get for Yehuda the spy's name was Kalev bin Yafuna and his name now Kalev remember Kalev is one of the spies one of the two spies who speaks highly of the land and who defends the idea of going into the land. Kalev signifies that he was he related to the people what was on his heart. Kalev. Lev is the word for heart, and Ka is like close to or by or or um, similar to. So it's Kalev. Close to the heart. So he praised Eretz Israel and he tried to steer the people away from the evil counsel of the spies and he also freed himself here you have another term for freedom but he freed himself from the from the counsel of the spies for Issachar the spies name was Egal bin Yosef he spoke haughtily Egal is related to Ga'ah arrogantly he suffered an untimely death because of it his arrogance of his speech he was speaking arrogantly against the land of Israel 
Yosef is derived from nasa, which is gathered. You know, add to me another is what Rachel said when she gave birth to Yosef. And so nasa is gathering. And he was gathered in. He was he died. He was gathered in. For Ephraim, the spy's name was Hoshea bin Nun. And this is this is Joshua. Moshe renamed the spy Yahushua, implying, May God save you from the council of the spies. And Yahushua's father's name was Nun. In Aramaic it means fish. He was called this because he was completely righteous and pure like a kosher fish. Now, it's interesting to note that his name was Hoshea and um, Moshe added the Yud to his name. And Yud has a value of 10. So he had the strength of this letter from Hashem's name to stand against the 10 spies who were speaking evil. For the tribe of Binyamin, the spy's name was Palti bin Rafu. By sinning, he lost Palat, for he was ejected. All of his previous good deeds and his hands weakened. Rafu means weakened when he perished. Now it's interesting because Rafua means healing. And it's connected with this word Rafu, which means weaken. That's an interesting um, thought. We have the angel named Raphael, who is the angel of healing. So this word, though, the root of it means weaken. So, this, so sickness weakens us. But when we pray for Rafua, when we pray for healing, it's that the sickness will weaken and we will regain our strength. But in this case, his hands weakened. It was the rafu, the root. Zvulun, for the tribe of Zvulun, the spy's name was Gadiel bin Sodi. He spoke harsh words against the Almighty. His words were tough like fibers. Kagidim, sorry, was stumbling over that. They were words. His words were tough like fibers. For the tribe of Menashe, the spy was Gadi bin Susi. And the reason is, uh, what's significant about his name is that he addressed accusing words to heaven. Gadi related to the God he spoke the Yagad when he related it is a land that devours its inhabitants he called forth heavenly anger Susia anger for the tribe of Dan the spy's name was Amiel bin Gamali he forfeited this world and the next as did all the spies all the ten spies that had an evil report because he said the inhabitants of the land are stronger than we are. Hence he caused himself Gamali derived from Gamal Laatzmo 
not to arrive in Eretz Israel. For the tribe of Asher, the spy's name was Sesur bin Mikael. By refusing to enter Eretz Israel, he opposed the Almighty. Satar is derived from Satur is derived from Satar. He denied the Almighty's great miracles since Yetziat Mitzrayim, coming out of Egypt, and he proclaimed that it was impossible to conquer the land. And by declaring that it was impossible to conquer the land of Israel, he was declaring that Hashem himself was too weak to conquer the land of Israel. It was a terrible thing. They're speaking Lashon Hara, not just against the land of Israel, not just against the leadership of the people of Israel, but against Hashem himself. This is how serious what they were doing was. But the tribe of Naphtali, the spy's name was Nachbi ben Vafsi. He concealed Nachbi, derived from Hanavia, hid. He hid the truth about the land. And his trust in the Almighty left him. It just, it left him. And so he turned against it. He let, the truth left him. He didn't understand the truth. He stopped to believing it. And for the tribe of God, the spy's name was Ga'ul-El bin Mahi. He spoke arrogant lies against the Almighty. Now this is a very, very uh, serious thing. When people speak, they have, people have to be very aware of what they're doing when they speak because speech is has tremendous power when we speak we have power to bring life into the world or death we've talked about this many times when we were talking about the um, how leprosy came into the world Lashon Hara bringing death I was connected to death and when these spies came and they were speaking against the land of Israel and they were speaking against Hashem like this we'll see in a minute how it brought death to the people so first of all so this is before they they went and we have to realize something that each one of these men who went to the land of Israel every one of them all 12 of them were leaders of the people they were saintly men they were righteous men and this is something that should warn us also that anybody can have the danger of falling anybody we all have to watch how we speak we all have to watch not only how we speak but what we listen to how we get drawn in and we'll see that really as this as this story develops how the people of Israel erred because they listened to to what the spies said. The spies erred because of what they said, but the people of Israel erred because they listened to it and they started they believed it. Instead of saying, No, you're wrong, Hashem has given us a promise, and we do not accept what you say. They didn't do that. They started wailing and screaming as we'll see. 
So Moshe sent the spies and he instructed them what to do. He instructed them that they should be very, very careful. You know, to, he told them the route that they should take. He told them what they should be looking for. He told them to bring back fruit so that the people could see the richness of the land. But he told them to bring back moderate fruit, medium-sized fruit, not something huge and not something tiny, but the medium-sized fruit so they could get an average idea. And as we can see, Moshe blessed he told, blessed all of the spies that they should go, give them instructions, but he specially blessed Yahushua. Moshe called Hosea, son of, son of Nun, Yahushua, or Joshua in English. Moshe sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Ascend here in the south and climb the mountain. See the land, how it is, and the people that dwells in it. Is it strong or weak? Is it few or numerous? And how is the land in which it dwells? Is it good or is it bad? And how are the cities in which it dwells? Are they open or are they fortified? And how is the land? Is it fertile or is it lean? And are there trees in it or not? You shall strengthen yourselves and take from the fruit of the land. The days were the season of the first ripe grapes. They ascended and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin at the, to the expanse at the approach of Hamat. They ascended in the south and he, and he arrived at Hebron where there were Ahiman, Sheshai, and Halmai, the offspring of the giants. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan of Egypt. So it was an ancient city built by this giant. They arrived at the valley of Eshkol and cut from there a vine with one cluster of grapes and bore it on a double pole and of pomegranates and of figs. They named the place the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster that the children of Israel cut from there. They re- okay, so this is the spying out of the land. They went to... and. And uh, Alondra, we're on, yes, we are in the chapter 13. So if everybody wants to go to, we just finished through verse 24, if you want to follow. So he instructed the spies what to do to to, um, go on this special route and that they should bring from the fruit of of the land. as we talked about a little while ago. Now this Hebron, like I said, had been built seven years before by the giant, the father of Ahiman and Sheshai and Talmi. They were the offspring of a giant. And um, and there's Midrash about these giants and, and who they were. So Hebron was a very ancient city built by these giants and they lived there. And it was built seven years before Zone of Egypt. Now the spies were dispatched. They went out in, out of um, 
Kadesh Barnea into the land on the 29th of Sivan in the year 2449 so we're right now we're in the month of Tammuz as I said it's really interesting how we're reading this in real time you know we've just finished this Shabbat this last Shabbat was the end of Sivan when we would have been reading Shlach Lecha and they went out on the 29th of Sivan and they traveled the land for 40 days so then the spies came back and they reported to him saying we went to at, we arrived at the land to which you sent us and indeed it flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit so they cut this large cluster of grapes that they had to carry on a pole because they conspired they weren't going to cut the moderate fruit like Moshe had told them they conspired that they were going to cut this gigantic fruit so that they could say to the people of Israel look at how peculiar this fruit is look how large it is how strange it is and the people of the land are just like that so they brought it back and we always think of this great big cluster of grapes in a positive sense but they didn't really bring these huge fruits back for a positive reason. And that's why Yahushua and Kaleb did not, did not participate in bringing back this fruit. So they brought back this fruit. But the people that dwells in the land is powerful, and the cities are fortified and very great. And we saw also saw their offspring of the giants. Amalek dwells in the area of the south. The Hittite, the Jebusite, and the Amorite dwell on the mountain. And the Canaanite dwells by the sea on the bank of the Jordan. Kaleb silenced the people toward Moshe and said, We shall surely ascend and conquer it, for we can surely do it. But the men who ascended with him said, We cannot ascend to that people, for it is too strong for us. They brought forth to the children of Israel an evil report on the land that they had spied out saying the land through which we have passed to spy it out is a land that it devours its inhabitants all the people that we saw there in it were huge there we saw the Nephilim the sons of the giants from among the Nephilim we were like grasshoppers in our eyes and so we were in their eyes and so they come back with this report and we have to ask ourselves now these weren't stupid people and they had seen all of the things that Hashem had done in the wilderness and like we said in the very beginning they weren't evil people either they were, they were righteous men they were tzedekim but there was something that just went wrong here when they went out they had um, an ulterior motive because they had a position that a position in the people while they were in the wilderness this is the same thing that we were going to read in the next Parsha with Korach they had a position that they weren't sure they would be able to maintain once they crossed the Jordan and so this was one of their considerations 
if they went to the land of Israel, things would change. And they wouldn't possibly wouldn't be leaders anymore. And so this was something that they were considering. And not only that, in a little bit more positive sense, they understood something else. While they were in the wilderness, they were totally experiencing spiritual life. They did not have to work. They did not have to do anything. They had the manna coming down that they could gather all the time. They didn't have to put out any effort to sustain themselves at all. All they had to do was learn Torah. And they were being sustained by Hashem completely. Once they'd come into the land, they would everything was going to change. They would have to come into a physical life like they weren't having to do in the wilderness. They would have to farm the land. They would have to harvest the food. They would have to work. They would have to do these things that weren't necessary while they're in the wilderness. And while they're in the wilderness, they're enjoying this very, very high spiritual life. You know, that's all they have to do. But once they come into the land, they're going to have to strike a balance between the physical and the spiritual. And this is something else our rabbis tell us was a factor that they were considering. Something they weren't sure they were ready to do. And this is something we can kind of relate to. This is one of the most difficult challenges of being human in the world. To be able to balance spirituality and physicality. That is the challenge of being human. Because we are spiritual beings, but we're in a physical body. We're in a physical environment. And this is what Hashem expects us to do. I mean, if we were going to just be spirit beings, and didn't have to worry about physicality, we wouldn't need this world. But he created this world for us to live in it physically. And if we were going to just be physical beings, we could just be animals. We wouldn't need to be human. But he created us human in order for us to be bring balance into the world. And that was what the people of Israel were facing as they stood at Kadesh Barnea, ready to cross over. They were going to have to come into a balance of physicality and spirituality. When they had been in Egypt, they'd had the, the, the suffering of slavery, the worst side of physicality. And now they're in the wilderness and they're just enjoying this high of spirituality. So this is another thing that the rabbis bring to us that this was a consideration. It wasn't all negative what the, these men were, cons- were thinking about. Because remember, these were not wicked men. These were the cream of their tribes. This, each one was a prince of his tribe. So we're not talking about a lowlife here who just has his ego out here. And that right there should give us pause because this was the best of the people of Israel and yet they fell they had these considerations going on in their minds and their egos did come into play they wouldn't have even really been realizing it that wasn't their first thought oh 
I won't be, I won't have my status anymore. That wasn't their first thought, but it was in there. It was back there in the back of their mind. And so it was something that was come, coming into the equation. But in the forefront of their minds was this, can we do this? Can we strike this balance? And our sages tell us that if they had gone into the land of Israel, they would have taken Israel completely by miracle without having to have any physical battles whatsoever. Would have been completely miraculous. And the temple would have been built right then. And it would have been eternal. It would have been, mamash, right then, redemption for the world. That would have been the end of the story. But it didn't work out that way. So, the story continued. And the spies did not necessarily have to take 40, I mean, they could have taken longer than 40 days to spy out the land. This is another thing that we were told. They, they could have taken longer than 40 days. But Hashem knew that what was coming. And he knew that the verdict was going to be that they would be having to wander the wilderness one year for each day that they were spying the land. So he cut it short, made it 40 days. Not only that, later we'll find out that he included the two years that they had already been in the wilderness up to now in the count of the 40 days. So every time we see Hashem making things lighter, making things a little bit easier on the people, so that those two years are already part of the sentence. So the spies became corrupted. They went to Israel and they became corrupted. One of the things, another one of the things that they were considering is that they knew, remember back when the um, when the 70 elders were chosen and Eldad and Magad were prophesying and Yahushua was saying, make them stop, make them stop. What were they prophesying? One of the things they were prophesying was that Moshe was going to die. And they all knew that once Moshe, once they would cross the Jordan, Moshe is going to die. So, that was one of the reasons that when they came back across to give the report, the one person who did not speak up, didn't really have anything to say, was Yahushua. Because he was going to become the leader. And he didn't want to be speaking up because it would look like he was, he was wanting to hurry, um, he was wanting to assume the leadership on the one hand. On the other hand, you know, Moshe was concerned about him that he might participate in the, in the sin of the spies because he was such a humble person that he would want to delay Moshe's death by keeping them in the wilderness. So, so he gave him an extra blessing. There's another thing about that too. That he gave him an extra blessing, whereas he did not give Kalev this extra blessing. And we wonder why. Kalev was from the tribe of Yehuda. And 
Yahushua was from the tribe of Yosef. His forefather was Yosef. And Yosef was guilty of Lashon Hara. He was guilty of speaking against his brothers. So, Yahushua needed that extra blessing to keep him from doing this. Kalev, on the other hand, had a strength. He had a natural strength. That he didn't need that extra blessing. But he came forward and he defended the land and he defended um, he defended Moshe Rabbeinu. When they went into the land of Israel, they went first, they went to Hebron. One of the reasons that Moshe directed them to go to, to Hebron was because this was where the fathers were buried. Um, this is where the fathers are buried. And the, but the only one that we're told went to the Machpelah and prayed at the tomb of Avraham Avinu was Kalev because he was so afraid of the power of this evil speech. He was so afraid of the persuasive power that these other spies might have. I see there's a question. Since the princes became corrupted in Israel, is that why Israel is having so many problems still today? Now the thing about that, very interesting, very interesting because we do see the same spiritual flaw in Israel today. In 1967 when the people, when Israel was given, the, the lands were given to Israel as a gift miraculously as a gift the leaders of Israel said oh no we can't take this we can't do this we can't dominate all these Arabs they totally did not see the miracle and they committed the same sin as the, of the spies and over and over we do see this how this spirit that brings forth his sin is displayed among the people of Israel over and over and the weakness it's born of fear so one of the things that Moshe had done when he sent the, the spies to uh, the land of Israel was that he gave them a, the 12 letter name of Hashem and he taught them how to say it for protection so when they got to Israel, I mean when they got to Hebron, sorry, these three giants came up, Achiman, Shashay, and Talmay came up, and they came rushing toward the spies. Of course the spies were terrified. They pronounced the twelve letter name of Hashem, and nothing happened. So this gave them more reason to say, oh, when we were there and we pronounced it, nothing happened. And they actually said to the people, so, the, so Hashem is not as powerful as the people of the land. I mean, they were really committing terrible Lashon Hara against not just the land, but also the, against Hashem himself. And the, the giants were roaring at them that they had come there to destroy their idols. 
And this is something that we should be thinking about in the whole context of the name Noah. That the people of the nations many times are terrified of Israel because, oh my goodness, they're going to come and destroy our idols. This is what the giants were saying. The spies do not understand, they do not see that the giants, as gigantic as they were, and they were putting up this fierce front, were actually afraid. And we see this later in the book of of Joshua, when the the two spies go in to Jericho, that Rahab says to them, we were terrified. We heard what happened at the crossing of the sea and what happened to the armies of Pharaoh. And we've all been terrified. And this is what the people of the land were really feeling. The spies went back and they said, we were grasshoppers in our own eyes and in their eyes. And you have to wonder, how do you know you were grasshoppers in their eyes? Did you ask one of them? Did they say that to you? But yet, it made a good story. I mean, this was something really convincing to say. And so many times, when you will hear people talking about a subject, or they'll talk about uh, another person, and they'll be saying a lot of things, bad things, it can sound very, very convincing. We have to really be careful of what we listen to, what we hear, that we don't make the mistake of not giving another person the benefit of the doubt. There are many people I'm sure that you know who can tell a real convincing tale and they can really grab a lot of people's attention like that. So the spies were already convinced before they went there that They did not want to bring back a good report. They already made up their minds. And so when they saw these giants, they saw the people in the land of Israel burying their dead. What had happened was, one of the things that Moshe told them was, when you go there, find out if the tzaddik, Eos, or as you might know of him, Job, is still alive in the land because he was the the um it's it's the book of Job that we read in the Bible. He he was a non-Jewish person. He was not Jewish, and he was a great saintly person. And on his merit, the people of the land of Canaan were preserved. And when the spies came into the land, the day they came into the land, we're told in Midrash, Eov died. So that all the merit that the people of that land might have had up until then, vanished. And the spies did not connect with that. They didn't realize that Hashem was making the way in every single way. They didn't realize this. So they came back, and we just read what they had, uh, what the spies had said, and what the people, um, what Kalev said. And one of the things that Kalev said was, "No, no, you have to realize that Hashem has already cast down the angel or the prince of these nations 
in the same way as he cast down the prince of Egypt. Remember when we were talking about the crossing of the sea? Oh, I don't know if you were all in the class or not, but we talked about how if a nation is going to be conquered, if its time is up and it's going to fall, that the first thing that happens is its prince in heaven, in the heavenly court, is cast down by Hashem. And so Kaleh, through prophetic knowledge, was saying to the people, No, no, the angels of these nations have been cast down in the heavenly court. It is now time for us to go. All of their merit is finished. But the spies weren't convinced. They weren't convinced that it was time. And how many times do we hear this? And we even read it in the Tanakh, where, you're, where people are saying, well, I'm not sure that it's time yet. No, I'm not sure that we've, we've been in exile long enough. You know, and people like, they like the status quo. They don't want to go on to a new thing because new things many times are frightening. And so the spies were dealing with a lot of their own fears. And Kalev was a very, very courageous man. And he was standing and he was saying, No, we have to have faith in Hashem. We have to have faith that the land that he has promised to us is a good land and it is destined for us and we must accept it. But the people were not convinced by them. They were convinced by the majority. And this is another thing that sometimes we in the West, we always think of, of democracy as being a really good thing. Well, this was ten to two. And the ten were wrong. And the two were correct. So democracy is not always the best way. And many times in the Torah you will find that democracy is not the way of Hashem at all. And when we look at the story of the spies, you can see for sure that democracy was not the way to go because the minority were the ones who were correct. They were the ones who were adhering to the words of Hashem. So, what did they do? They started talking about all the the frightening things that they had seen. They talked about the people were burying their dead. Everywhere they went, they didn't see that Hashem was occupying this people so they would not notice the spies. They didn't see it in a positive light. They saw it in a negative light. They said, it's a land that devours its inhabitants. There's epidemics everywhere. Everywhere we went, the people were burying their dead. So they were turning the situation that they were seeing with their eyes. They were turning it around and they were seeing it through the lens of the attitudes they already had so that it would be interpreted to be what they wanted it to be. So we have to be careful many times when we see something that we see it clearly and not with a preconceived idea. And they mentioned the spies also, as we read the text here, they mentioned also Amalek because they knew that the people were frightened of Amalek. They knew that Amalek was a fierce people that were heartless, they were vicious, and they would prey on the weak. 
Uh, so they mentioned Amalek as they were um, talking about all of this so that they could stir them up and they could get them to um, be swayed to their opinion. Now we are on chapter 14. And when the people, when the spies came back, you should know it was 40 days. And when the spies came back and they gave this evil report, it was the ninth of Av. This was the first tragedy of Tishabah. The entire assembly raised up and issued its voice. The people wept that night. All the children of Israel murmured against Moshe and Aaron, and the entire assembly said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, if, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why is Hashem bringing us to this land to die by the sword? Our wives and our young children will be taken captive. Is it not better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and let us return to Egypt. Moshe and Aaron fell on their faces before the entire congregation of the assembly of the children of Israel. So once more they were, they were wailing and they were crying and they were saying, Oh, if only we hadn't left Egypt. Only this time, this is one of the first times they're saying, Let's appoint a leader and go back. And who do they appoint, of course, is the notorious Datan and Aviram. That they are always popping up as being the, the opposers of Moshe and Aaron. And so they say, let's appoint a leader and go back. Because of the bad report of the spies. So here's this wailing going on. And everybody is in his tent. And they're going, the spies were going from tent to tent. And they're saying, oh, it's so terrible. Your poor children are going to die. But they don't understand that if they had just gone over from Kadesh Barnea, they would just gone in, there would not have been any need for the sword. That the battle would have already been won. That it would be totally miraculous. They wouldn't even need war. Now later, because they had to spend the 40 years in the wilderness, war was necessary. But the sages say they had gone at this time there wouldn't have even been need for war. But they had seen war in the wilderness with Amalek. And it frightened them because the people were still of the same mindset as slaves. They had come out of Egypt. And they were still, the adults of the, of the community were still with the mindset of slaves. And so they still had this feeling of, of inadequacy of fear of, of a people stronger than themselves and feeling like everybody was stronger than themselves because after all they were only they had only been slaves and this is uh, something that they had to overcome so they were wailing so Hashem according to our Midrash said alright you're wailing now for no reason. Remember how when your children are little you say to them, you want to cry? I'm going to give you something to cry about. Well, this is what Hashem is saying to the people here. 
say, you want to cry? You're going to cry. So every Tisha B'Av, we have reason to cry. The, the first and second temple were destroyed on the anniversary of this day of the evil report of the spies. And it's interesting to note that last year when the government of Israel was talking about dismantling Gush Katif, they had first slated it. They changed the date because they realized what they had done. But when they had first put it on the calendar, it was on Tisha B'Av that they had slated the dismantling of Gush Katif. And then, because they didn't want to have it on that day, they changed it. But it's interesting that they had, without realizing it, first put it on the calendar for Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av. So we're going to go on now. Yahushua, son of Nun, and Kaleb, son of Yafuna, of the spies of the land, tore their garments. They spoke to the entire assembly, the children of Israel, saying, The land that we passed through to spy it out, the land is very, very good. If Hashem desires us, He will bring us to this land and give it to us, a, fl- a land that flows with milk and honey. Do not rebel against Hashem. You should not fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. Hashem is with us. Do not fear them. See, here is where Yahushua and Kaleb are saying the princes of the heavenly court of these nations have been cast down by Hashem. Their protection is finished. That's what this is connected to in the written Torah. The Midrash is connected here. Remember how we've said how you have to anchor Midrash to the written text? This is where it's anchored. Where they said, the protection is finished. Their angels in the heavenly court have been cast down. They've been defeated. These nations are destined to fall. But the entire assembly said to pelt them with stones. And the glory of Hashem appeared in the tent of the meeting to all the children of Israel. So the entire assembly democratically decided that they were going to stone the people who were speaking the truth. That's why sometimes, you know, we always, the saying that might does not make right and the majority is not always just because everybody else is doing it doesn't make it right so democracy is not always a good thing verse 13 uh, verse 11 Hashem said to Moshe how long will this people provoke me and how long will they not have faith in me despite all the signs that I have performed in their midst. I will smite them with a plague and annihilate them. I shall make you a greater, more powerful nation than they. Moshe said to Hashem, Then Egypt, from whose midst you brought up this nation with your power, will hear. And they will say about the inhabitants of this land, 
They have heard that you, Hashem, are in the midst of this people, that you, Hashem, appeared eye to eye, and your cloud stands over them, and that in a pillar of cloud you go before them by day, and in a pillar of fire at night. Yet you killed this people like a single man. Then the nations that heard of your fame will say, Because Hashem lacked the ability to bring this people to the land that he had sworn to give them, he slaughtered them in the wilderness. And now may the strength of my Lord be magnified, as you have spoken, saying, Hashem, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, forgiver of iniquity and willful sin, who cleanses, but does not cleanse completely, recalling the iniquity of parents upon children to the third and fourth generations. Forgive now the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your kindness, and as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Now this passage that I've just read here is extremely significant. Moshe was the greatest of all prophets. Moshe knew the job of a prophet better than anybody who ever came before or after him. And what is the job of a prophet? No matter. The, the passage right before, the people were picking up rocks, getting ready to stone him. But what does he do? He does not turn around to Hashem and say, look at these lousy people. He never did that. Never, never, never did Moshe do that. He would say to them, you lousy people, but he would never say that to Hashem. He would say to them, you are sinful and need to get your act together, but he would never say that to Hashem. He would always plead their case. That's what an intercessor does. This is what a prophet does. The greatest, the greatest leader. To the people he'll say, Come on, people. Get your act together. But then he turns to Hashem and says, They're your people for the sake of your name. You know, and he pleads for them. And so he pleads for them. Not only for them, but you notice something else. As he's pleading for the people, he's also mentioning the nations and how the nations are going to see Hashem because the people of Israel are the priestly nation. The people of Israel are the nation that is representative of Hashem in the world. And so he says, Hashem, if you destroy these people, after the nations have heard about you bringing them out of Egypt and they've heard about all of these things you have done your name is going to be blasphemed all over the world your name is going to suffer because of that for the sake of your name O Hashem you have to bring this people into the land as you have promised you have to preserve this people so he's pleading for the people of Israel and he's also pleading for the sake of Hashem's name in the world for the sake of how all the people of the world or all the nations will view Hashem himself and this is highly significant because 
all of the people of the world have a right to be able to come into an understanding of truth. But if at this point in history, if Hashem had destroyed the people of Israel, and this is what Moshe is saying to Hashem, Hashem's name would be blackened and the people of the world would not be able to come to an understanding of who he is, who he truly is. And so he's pleading not only for the people of Israel, but also for Hashem himself and for the nations of the world. He was the most, the highest, highest prophet who ever lived in the world. And this is the blueprint. This is the job description right here of what a prophet is supposed to be. Now, there's something else that is very, very highly significant. And Hasid, you wrote it, the 13 attributes of divine mercy. But watch this. Just a moment while I come back here and I see it. He said, And now may the strength of my Lord be magnified as you have spoken. And we have to think. Now we're reading this from the written Torah. When did Hashem speak this? Right. When did Hashem speak this? Because Moshe is talking about an incident that has already happened. And when did this happen? Hashem, Moshe, was in the heavenlies when he was receiving the Torah. This is a Midrash. He saw Hashem writing something. And he's looking and he's seeing what is Hashem writing. And Hashem was writing. And he was writing the 13 attributes of mercy. And Moshe said to him, Well, this must just be for the righteous. And Hashem is writing. And he said, Not just the righteous, but also the Rasha'im. Not just the Tzadikim, also the Rasha'im, also the wicked. And Moshe said, But it shouldn't be just for the, it shouldn't be for the wicked, only for the righteous. And Hashem answered him and said, One day you are going to ask me. You are going to regret that those words and you're going to ask me for it to be also for the wicked. And here is where he's saying it. As you said. You see this? As you have spoken, saying, he's reminding Hashem because Hashem had given him what to say. When he was in heaven learning the Torah, he had given him what to say here already. So Moshe is reminding Hashem of what he himself has said. This is what an intercessor does. Hashem gives you the words. When we pray for somebody, it is very appropriate for us to ask Hashem for the wisdom to understand it is significant. We're going to get to that. It's very appropriate for us to ask Hashem to give us the wisdom to know His will, to connect with His highest will and have the words of what to say. And this right here, where Hashem is giving, where Moshe is 
relating the attributes of mercy and he and he says as you have said he didn't just make these things up Hashem had given it to him to say you see that Hashem had told him these attributes and then Moshe says it back to him this is what we get when we learn the Torah this is what Torah does for us is that it gives us the truth of Hashem inside of our souls then we can speak that out into the world and we can speak that in our prayers that we're relating we're connecting with the will of Hashem this is where the spies went wrong they weren't connecting with the Torah that they had learned for the last two years that the Torah that they had been given at Sinai they weren't connecting with that they weren't connecting with Hashem's will for the people and for themselves they had dropped a level and they were only connecting with their fear and with their egos we always have to check ourselves to see what is my motive am I connecting with fear am I doing something out of ego what is my motive and this was where the spies fell and where we see how much superior Moshe was to what they had done and let's not forget the passage right before this the people were were picking up rocks ready to stone Moshe to death but yet Moshe falls on his face along with Aaron and along with Caleb and along with Yahshua they fall on their faces and they and Moshe says to Hashem as you have spoken and then relates the, the, the attributes of mercy it is just the most incredible thing when we really see what's going on when we really understand how incredible this is that this was brought down into the world and I'm going to stop right here for a moment because maybe somebody has a comment on this that maybe you would like to talk about this for a minute because this is something that is very very important well maybe you'll think about it for a minute think of something that you would like to talk about ask and uh, and we're going to go on and Hashem said I have forgiven because of your words. Well, Moshe is praying for all the people. Moshe is praying for all the people. And there is a Midrash that says that it was also for the Rasha'im. So Hashem answered now. I have forgiven because of your words because of the words that Moshe is repeating back to Hashem that are Hashem's words but as I live and the glory of Hashem shall fill the entire world that all the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tested me these ten times and have not heeded my voice if they will see the land that I have sworn to give their forefathers and all those who anger me shall not see it so he's forgiving but it's conditional 
My servant Kaleb, because a different spirit was with him, and he followed me wholeheartedly, shall I bring him to the land to which he came, and his offspring shall possess it. And the Amal- um, Amalekite and the Canaanite dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and journey toward the wilderness in the direction of the Sea of Reeds. So he is saying that he is going to forgive them, but it's conditional. And what is the condition? And we're going to get to this. Hashem spoke to Moshe and Aaron saying, How long for this evil assembly that provokes complaints against me? I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel whom they provoke against me. Say to them, As I live the word of Hashem, if I shall not do to you as you have spoken in my ears. Remember they were saying we're going to die. We're going to die. So he says you said it. That's what's going to happen. In this wilderness shall your carcasses drop. All of you who were counted in any of your numberings from twenty years of age and above who provoked against me. If you shall come to the land about which I have raised my hand in oath to settle you there except for Kaleb son of Yafuna and Yahushua son of Nun and your young children of whom you said they will be taken captive I shall bring them they shall know the land that you have despised but your carcasses shall drop in this wilderness your children will want roam in the wilderness for forty years and bear your guilt until the last of your carcasses in the wilderness. Like the number of the days you spied out the land, forty days, a day for a year, shall you bear your iniquities forty years, and you shall comprehend straying from me. I, Hashem, have spoken. If If I shall not do this to this entire evil assembly that gathers against me, in this wilderness shall they cease to be and there shall they die. But as for the men whom Moshe sent to spy out the land, and who returned and provoked the entire assembly against him by spreading a report against the land, the people who spread the evil report about the land died in a plague before Hashem. Now they died in a special way, a special horrible way. But Yahushua, son of Nun, and Kaleb, son of Yafuna, lived from among those men who were going to spy the land. Moshe spoke these words to all the children of Israel, and the people mourned exceedingly. Now, this was a decree against the people, that all of the men over the age of 20, well, they would be the fighting age between 20 and 60 years of age, would die in the wilderness. Now this was only the men from the tribes that sent spies. So there was one tribe that did not send a spy. When we were reading lists, what tribe did not send a spy? You remember? Levi, that's right. Levi was the only tribe that did not send a spy. So all the tribe of Levi were exempt from this decree. There was there were some other people who were exempt from this decree. Eldad and Medad, 
that we talked about last week who uttered prophecy in the camp were also exempt from this decree because of their exceptional faith in Hashem. Also, Kalev and Yahushua were exempt from the decree. And who else was exempt from this decree against the people of Israel? The women. That is exactly right. Because when the people were were wailing and, and carrying on, we're told that the women did not. The women did not grieve and wail. It was only the men. I know, I know it's just like you think, wow, that you would have thought that it would have been the women who would have gotten hysterical. But it was not. It was the men. Like the sin of the, of the golden calf. The, the men were the ones who gave their jewelry to make the golden calf. And the women said, no, I'm not. So, the women were given the special um, bracha, the special every month. Rosh Chodesh is a holiday that is specifically for women because of their not giving their jewelry for the golden calf. And another reason another time that they did not partake in a sin of all of Israel was here at this wailing of the people about the, about the land. And so the grandmothers who came out of Egypt also came into the land of Israel. So, just a second. Well, this is significant to non-Jewish people because, for one thing, it teaches all people about the, the importance of faith in Hashem. It teaches all people about watching what we say and what we listen to. There are lessons in here for all people. And also, it is, is significant for all people because we're learning here about the history of the people of Israel that if Hashem had destroyed all of the people, all of the people of Israel, that his name would not have, it, it was on behalf of the nations as well. Not just the nation of Israel, but be on behalf of the nations as well for the sake of his name. And so this is significant to non-Jews as well. The thing is, is if we study Torah in the right way, if we study Torah with the right heart, then we're going to be seeing significance to Jews and non-Jews. For instance, when we study about the, um, the building of the temple, we study about different things, we can realize that it is significant for non-Jews as well because in Isaiah it says, My house shall be a house of prayer for all people. So all of Torah has significance to Jews and non-Jews. It's not the same significance. You see what I mean? It's, it's a little different, but there is significance. And so what I'm trying to do when I'm teaching this is to... Okay, that's right. And, and I appreciate that. So I thought I was making that point when I was talking about... Um, when Moshe was pleading with Hashem that his name would not be blasphemed in the nation because of what he was doing to the people of Israel. And so, thank you for that, Lieb. 
so that um, I do make that clearer. So, the rest of the story, verse 40, they awoke early in the morning and ascended toward the mountaintop, saying, We are ready, and we shall ascend to the place of which Hashem has spoken, for we have sinned. Moshe said, Why do you transgress the word of Hashem? It will not succeed. Do not ascend, for Hashem is not in your midst. And do not be do not be smitten before your enemies, for the Amalekite and the Canaanite are there before you, and you will fall by the sword, because you have turned away from Hashem, and Hashem will not be with you. But they defiantly ascended to the mountain top, while the ark of Hashem's covenant and Moshe did not move from the midst of the camp, and the Amalekite and the Canaanite who dwelled on the mountain descended they struck them and pounded them until Hormah so there were these people one more time there were these people who out of the will of Hashem without the direction of Hashem decided okay alright we're going to make it better and we're going to make it better in our own way we know that we goofed up we're ready to do what Hashem wants us to do now and this happened before I mean when when the people were in Egypt were told in the Midrash that there were men from the tribe of uh, Ephraim, uh, Ephraim who thought that the time had come to leave Egypt like 30 years before it was time and so they went early and they were all killed so this is something that shows us the very important um, lesson that we have to know we have to be in Hashem's time and that if we step out of that that we can be doing things without His blessing defiantly if we have been told to do something and we don't do it then we can miss the opportunity we can miss the chance and then if we try to do it later just to make just to uh, make it right, make it right in our own way, then we can really mess up. Because what was happening was that the people did not want to accept the verdict of Hashem. When he said, this is what is going to happen to you now because you did this thing. Now you're going to have to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. They didn't want to accept that. You see? And this is one of the things about Torah is that when, when the Torah has penalties attached to commandments if you don't do this this is the penalty if you do do this this is the penalty and many times people try to circumvent that well this, is, this was what was going to happen because of the sin of the spies the people were going to have to wander the wilderness for 40 years and there were some people who didn't want to accept that. It's very, very dangerous when we decide we don't want to accept what Hashem has said is the consequence for our actions. We try to get around that. 
Was Amalek guilty of Lashon Hara when they defeated Israel? Lashon Hara is evil speech. Now, there have been times where the enemies of Israel have said, Israel, where is your God? And that is evil speech, for sure. And that is one of the things that is terrible about um, when Israel has when Israel has sinned and these things come on Israel is that the nations then say, Israel, where is your God? This is one of those things that was is written in the Psalms by David. This is this is a um, Hilul Hashem, a blaspheming of Hashem. I guess that would really be what it is more than Lashon Hara. It's more blasphemy. The thing about Lashon Hara is it's evil speech. And it is akin to murder because it brings death into the world. And we can see that through the story of the sin of the spies how because they spoke evil against the land of Israel and against Hashem and against the leadership of Israel these terrible deaths came upon the whole nation they brought death down on the whole nation now what happened was oh, I'm going to stop for a minute what happened during those 40 years of wandering was that the people just had it was dying the people were dying and we, every time would be on the ninth of Av on Tisha Av. they would have to go the ones who were um, over 20 years old would have to go at, the to- at this time would have to go and dig their graves and lie down in the grave and wait and then the ones who were going to die died and then the ones who were you know still alive got up this was a terrible thing that they were having to experience every year they had to experience the anticipation of death and the whole people of Israel were having to live with this anticipation of death as they wandered the, the wilderness for these 40 years well actually 38 because two years were already counted but this was a um, this is a punishment sin comes into sin brings death into the world just like in the garden of Eden just like what Hashem had said to Adam and Chava that if you partake of this that I have forbidden you will bring death every sin really brings death because it separates us away from Hashem and this is a real picture of this how death came into the world because of this speaking evil because of this departure from what Hashem had said because of this breach of faith in Hashem so we see this picture of how death which is prevalent in the camp and this can give us a lot of pause here to think 
You know, like I was saying when we first started about how we have to think about what we say, about the consequences of what we say, and not only what we say, but what we listen to other people say, and how we react to what they say. Do we give credence to it? Do we encourage them by giving them, by justifying what they're saying, by giving them some kind of uh, encouragement? Or do we say, don't even come near me with your Lashon Hara. I do not want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Or I say to them, don't you think we should give them the benefit of the doubt? In the very least. I mean, there are ways that we can avoid this. And, and But it's not easy. It's one of the real pitfalls of all people. But it is very, uh, very connected with death. I mean, if you speak evil against another person, it's character assassination. It is akin to murder. And we have to think about that. This is one of the biggest lessons of the sin of the spies. One of the biggest things that we have to learn. And another thing I wanted, to, I, I was thinking about as I was thinking of this whole thing uh, was the fear of the spies that maybe they wouldn't have a place of honor once they went into the land. Maybe they wouldn't have as high of a position. So each of us has to realize that our positions in this world also come from... Okay, I'm glad that you were able to join us, Alondra, and thank you for all of your help. If we can all of us realize that our positions in this world are predestined for us in heaven, that we come into these places because of divine decree before ever even born, it just kind of takes the weight off. We don't have to be jealous of someone else because no one else can fill the place that Hashem wants us to fill. No one can do the job that Hashem wants us to do. Nobody. And here's a little bit of an example of this. When those spies went into the land, Kalev and Yahshua were there with them. Well, this was destiny. This was destined for them to be there so that the spies would not be able to um, get away with it. There would be a a dissenting voice. They were meant to be there. This was their destiny. And it's interesting how sometimes when there's going to be something happen in the future, Hashem will place somebody there as a witness. Kaleb and Yahushua were witnesses so that what the ten spies said would not have as much weight there was somebody with an opposing opinion there as an eyewitness. And that was the hand of Hashem. That was the hand of heaven. So when we can, we can understand how Hashem directs the world and how He has a destiny for our souls, it can take off the pressure that sometimes makes us want to be jealous of another person. You see what I'm saying? It's just food for thought. 
I've been thinking about that for a while, and this this parsha of the sin of the spies really did bring that to my mind in a in a new way. Well, you're right, Lieb, and I, I did go back here and I um, and I read what you said, and there are exceptions, and um, for instance, we're told in Judaism, if a person is going to get married to someone, and you know something firsthand about that person that they're, that they're going to marry, that could cause this person pain if he does marry this person. You're obligated to say something about it. You're obligated to protect that person. If a person is damaging another person and you can come forward with evidence that will save that damage, will will um, lessen that damage, you're obligated to do that. Even if it is speaking evil or what it would look like speaking evil, against a uh, somebody and you're right a potential business partner as well because you are preventing damage but we have to be very sure when we do this and yes we have to be sure of what we're saying when we do that because sometimes we can we can think that we're doing um, something in a righteous way, and there are times where it is our point of view or it's our opinion. So we have to really be thoughtful and, and think about what we're saying, so that we're not falling into that trap. There are people who wrap themselves in self righteousness and stand up and say all kinds of things about somebody and say that only uh, protecting a group of people. And their motive is not their motive is not pure. So we have to really be careful that we don't fall into that trap. And also sometimes we can think we have all of the facts and and say something. And maybe we don't have all the facts. And then later we'll come across something and, oh my goodness, it completely changes the picture. So we have to be very, very careful when we say something about somebody. Okay. So the people of Israel were greatly distressed, of course, because this is a terrible thing that has happened. They have this terrible decree against them. And they're very, very depressed. And they're down in their spirit. So what is the remedy for this? Hashem gave Moshe the remedy. And that was to teach the people of Israel Torah. Torah would lift them up. So what? this is how our Parsha ends. Um, the last chapter of the Parsha is instruction um, and this is a solace for the soul learning Torah learning how we can come close to Hashem is a solace to us 
So this is the last part, and I'm going to just go through and read it because we're running out of time. Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come to the land of your dwelling places that I give you, and you perform a fire offering to Hashem, a burnt offering or feast offering, because of an articulated vow or as a free will offering, or on festivals to produce a satisfying aroma to Hashem from the cattle or from the flock, the one who brings his offering to Hashem shall bring a meal offering of a tenth ephah of fine flour mixed with a quarter hen of oil and a quarter hen of wine for a libation shall you prepare for the burnt offering or the feast offering for each sheep. Or for a ram you shall prepare a meal offering two-tenths ephah fine flour mixed with a third hen of oil and a third hen of wine for a libation shall you bring as a satisfying aroma to Hashem. When you prepare a young bull as a burnt offering or a feast offering because of an articulated vow or a peace offering to Hashem, you shall bring with the young bull a meal offering three-tenths ephah of fine flour mixed with half hen of oil. You shall bring a half hen of wine for libation, a fire offering for a satisfying aroma to Hashem. So shall be done for each bull or for each ram or for a lamb or kid among sheep or goats. According to the number that you prepare, so shall you do for each one according to their number. Every native shall do so with them to bring a fire offering, a satisfying aroma to Hashem. When a proselyte sojourns with you or one who is among you throughout your generations, and he shall prepare a fire offering, a satisfying aroma to Hashem, as you do, so shall he do. For the congregation, the same decree shall be for you and for the proselyte who journey, sojourns an eternal decree for your generations, like you, like the proselyte shall it be before Hashem. One teaching and one judgment shall be for you and for the proselyte who journeys, sojourns with you. Now this is really telling the people that they are going to come into the land. He's teaching Torah, bringing them close to himself, but also it is a hope because he said when you come to the land he's giving them hope he's giving them instruction that will be applicable in the land of Israel and so here they have been told you're not going into the land for 40 years but he's giving them hope and we see this so many times in the prophets where they will say there's destruction is coming and then a little while later there is the hope because Hashem never left it as just there's destruction and that's it he always gave the hope and here the hope is this is what you will do to honor me when you come into the land he gives instruction from the Torah so we're going on and Hashem spoke to Moshe saying speak to the children of Israel and say to them when you come to the land to which I bring you here we see this phrase again it shall be that when you will eat of the bread of the land, you shall set aside a portion for Hashem. As the first of your meeting, 
you shall set aside a loaf as a portion like the portion of the threshing floor so shall you set it aside from the first of your kneading shall you give a portion to Hashem for your generation if you err and do not perform all these commandments which Hashem has spoken to Moshe everything that Hashem commanded you through Moshe from the day that Hashem commanded and onward throughout your generations if because of the eyes of the assembly it was done unintentionally the entire assembly shall prepare one young bull as a burnt offering for a satisfying aroma to Hashem and its meal offering and its libation according to the rule and one he goat as a sin offering the Kohen shall atone for the entire assembly of the children of Israel and it shall be forgiven them for it was unintentional and they have brought their offering a fire offering to Hashem and their sin offering before Hashem for their unintentional sin and it shall be forgiven to the entire assembly of Israel and to the proselyte who sojourns among them for it happened to the entire people unintentionally if one person sins unintentionally he shall offer a she-goat within its first year as a sin offering the Kohen shall atone for the erring person when he sins unintentionally before Hashem to atone for him and it shall be forgiven him the native among the children of Israel and the proselyte who sojourns among them there shall be a single teaching for them for one who does unintentionally a person who shall act high-handedly whether native or proselyte he blasphemed Hashem that person shall be cut off from among his people for he scorned the word of Hashem and broke his commandment that person shall surely be cut off his sin is upon him now this is a person who does so intentionally and it's um, connected with idolatry blasphemy and idolatry are go hand in hand the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moshe and Aaron and to the entire assembly they placed him in custody for it had not been clarified what should be done to him Hashem said to Moshe the man shall be put to death the entire assembly shall pelt him with stones outside the camp the entire assembly removed him to the outside of the camp they pelted him with stones and he died as Hashem commanded Moshe now this is a very interesting part of the Parsha how all of a sudden we're told about this man who was gathering sticks and this was the person who was and there's uh, it's interesting now it is said by our sages that this man did so intentionally and he did so for the name of heaven and that the man who did this was actually Selachad he was the desecrator but he did so for the name of heaven and what does that mean that he did so for the name of heaven
This man was reasoning. The men of this generation will know that they'll never reach Eretz Israel. And now they might be tempted to treat the mitzvot lightly. They might think that the mitzvot don't need to be taken seriously. So I will intentionally desecrate Shabbat in order to, to demonstrate the grave consequences of this. So, what he was doing was he was he was doing something as a demonstration. And he was going to do so paying for it with his life. That even though they would not be going to Eretz Israel right then, that um, desecration of Shabbat was still a serious, serious matter. Even if we're in the exile, desecration of Shabbat is a serious matter. And so it was given as an example. Now, right, it is an opinion about his identity. And this is what I'm giving. It is an opinion of the sages. It's one of the major opinions of who he was. And the reason that we believe that it was Salakad, it was given by, actually it was given by Rabbi Akiva, who said it was Salakad, because when his daughters came to Moshe and asked for an inheritance because their father had no sons, they said, our father died but for his own sins. And so um, that's where the sages get that it was Salakad. So he went into the field and he did this act that was forbidden on Shabbat in order to be the demonstration of the sanctity of Shabbat that even though it looked like everything was um, was dismal that the Torah was still in effect that the people of, of Israel were still the people of the Torah it was something that he did and, and it's a little hard to get your mind around sort of a little it's kind of hard to get your mind around this but he was doing this like he was laying down his own life in order to, to demonstrate to the people of Israel that the Torah was still in effect, that it was still theirs, you know, that they were still bound to Hashem through the mitzvot of the Torah. And I did want to kind of go off a little bit and, and um, talk about that for a moment even though we're out of time okay now we're on um, and he paid for it with his life they did stone him to death for this verse 37 Hashem said to Moshe speak to the children of Israel and say to them that they should make themselves tzitzit on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and they shall place upon the tzitzit of each corner a thread of turquoise or um, the blue wool and shall constitute tzitzit for you that you may see it and remember all the commandments of Hashem and perform them and not explore after your heart and after your eyes after which you stray so that you may remember and perform all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am Hashem your God who has removed you from the land of Egypt to be a God to you. I am Hashem your God. Now this 
the last thing I do want to comment on is, is about CC. That this is something that is given exclusively to the Jewish people. It is something that is connected with the vow and the, and the um, binding of the Jewish people to the 613 mitzvot of the Torah. Other people who are not Jewish people should not wear tzitzit. It, it's just, it's not, it's not good. It's not to be done. This is something specifically given to the Jewish people only. It's the same thing as the garments of the priest, that they're only to be worn by the priest. The crown of the king, only to be worn by the king. Lithiti is only to be worn by the Jewish people because it has significance to remind the Jewish people of the commandments of the Torah. And I know that there are people out here in the world who think it's a cool thing to wear a tzitzit or to wear a kippah or something like this. It is not a good thing. It's basically identity theft. I mean, it's just, it's not good. And they don't really understand what the purpose of tzitzit is when they do this. And that's really all I want to say about it. I don't want to really go into the significance of it or what it means. I just wanted to put that out there for B'nai Noah that it is something that is one of those things that is only for Jews. You make a good point there. It was given to them right after the desecration of Shabbat. And this is this could be the, and the position of the different things of the Torah that are listed in the Torah are significant. And the, that this man desecrated Shabbat in order to demonstrate that the people are still bound to the laws of the Torah. And then right afterwards you have that Hashem is giving tzitzit to demonstrate from heaven. Here, this is a physical way for you to always have see that you are bound to, tied to, the laws of the Torah. So we are out of time. Does anybody have any comments or questions before we close? Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us. I, I'm very happy that all of you came into the room tonight. And um, next week, like I said, is going to be the Parshat Korach. And that's <clears throat> one more where we're going to be... Um, setting about the, the pitfalls of rebellion and Lashon Hara. And thank you Dale and Bertie and Lee and all of you for joining us. And thank you Chesed. So I hope that all of you will join us next week at 7 o'clock Central Time. I don't know where all of you are located. 
but it's 7 o'clock central time. I'm located in the center of the country at this moment. Someday, I hope I'll be able to return to Israel, but right now I'm in the middle of America. <laughs> so, I look forward to seeing all of you in the room again next week at 7 o'clock central um, on Tuesday. And then... Um, oh we'll see what's coming after that 